Section 7 of Last Call for Sector 9G by Lee Brackett. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. 7. The spaceport was in a vast, flat plain. Far across the plain, Durham could see the dark outline of a city. He stood at the edge of the landing area, between two Senyan officers from the ship. He wore a pressure suit from the lifeboat's equipment, and the wind blew hard, beating and picking and pushing at the suit and the bubble helmet. It was difficult for Durham to stand up, but the Senyans, braced on their four sturdy legs, stood easily and swayed their upper bodies back and forth like trees. They were big. He had not really understood how big they were until he stood beside them. He gathered that they were waiting for a ground conveyance, and he was not surprised. Light air cabs were hardly suited to their build. He had talked briefly to Karlovic by radio, and he was impatient to get to the consulate where Karlovic was waiting for him. The minute or two in which they waited for the truck seemed interminable, but it came, a great, powerful thing like a moving van, and one of the Senyans said, Permit me? With his two lower arms, he lifted Durham onto the platform. The Senyans spoke to the driver and then got on themselves. The truck took off, going very fast in spite of its size. The Senyans held Durham between them because there was nothing for a human to hang on to and nowhere to sit down. They left the spaceport. Huge storage buildings lined the road, and then smaller buildings, and then patches of open country inexpressibly dreary to Durham's eyes. High overhead, the sun burned green and small in a sky of cloudy vapor from which fell showers of glinting rain. Poison rain from a poison sky. Durham shivered, and a deep depression settled on him. Nothing hopeful would be done in this place. Not by humans. The truck roared on. Durham watched the city grow on the murky horizon, rising up into huge, ugly towers and blocky structures like old prisons greatly magnified. It was a big city. It was a frightening city. He wished he had never seen it. He wished he was back in the hub, standing on a high walk with the good hot sun pouring on him and no barriers between him and the good clean air. He wanted to weep with mingled weariness and claustrophobia. Then he noticed that little crowds had collected along the way into the city. They shouted at the truck going by and waved their arms and some of them threw stones that rattled off the sides. What's the matter? Durham asked. They are members of the anti-human party. Prejudice cuts both ways, a thing our neighbors of Nantadik do not seem to understand. Human and non-human are intellectual concepts. On the emotional level, it is simply us, or not us. You are not us, and as such quite distasteful to some. What I do not understand is how they knew you were coming. Morrison must have got his radio working. He's been using the extremists here, just like the ones on Nantadik. To make trouble. There are times, said the Senyan grimly, but then I make myself remember that there are scoundrels among us, too. 
The truck rumbled through the traffic of wide boulevards, between rows of massive buildings that had obviously never been designed with anything so small and frail as human beings in mind. There were Senyans on the streets, apparently going about whatever business they did, and Durham wondered what their home life was like, what games the children played, what they ate and how they thought, what things they worried about in the dark hours of the night. He felt absolutely alien. It was not a nice feeling. Presently, the truck turned into an open circle surrounded by mighty walls of stone. In one place, bright light shone cheerfully from the windows, and the Senyan said, That is the consulate. They set him off and showed him where the airlock was. Durham performed the ritual of the lock chamber, frantic to get out of the confining suit. When the inner door swung open, he began to tear at the helmet, and a man came in, saying, let me help. When Durham was free of the suit, the man looked at him with very tired, very angry eyes. I'm Karlovic. Jub's waiting. Come on. He led Durham down an echoing corridor that dwarfed them by its size. The colors of the polished wood and stone were not keyed to the glaring yellow light, and the rooms that Durham could see into as he passed were not keyed to the small, incongruous furnishings that had been forced upon them. Somewhere below there was a throbbing of pumps, and the air smelled of refresher chemicals. Durham said, You knew I was being brought here, didn't you? Karlovic nodded. You, yes. The girl, no. She was an overzealous mistake on the part of the dark bird. Yes, I was in on it. I hoped that finally we could get proof, a witness against whoever in the embassy was working with Morrison. Hawtree, is it? I'm glad to know his name. He pushed open a door. The room beyond it was only half a room, cut in the middle by a partition of heavy glass. On the other side of the glass wall was thick green native air and three senyans, one of whom came forward when Durham and Karlovic came in. A dark bird hovered close above him. He said to Durham, I am Job. There were communicator discs set into the glass. Job motioned Durham to sit in a chair beside one. Let me first offer the apology that is due you. You were carrying a message which was not true which would have made the people of Nantadik believe we were about to come against them with the bitter star. The dark birds warned me, and I felt that I had no choice. I could not let the message be delivered. Durham said, No one can blame you for that. You understand, I had another motive, too. Yes, I don't think you could be blamed for that, either. Jub looked at him with his large, inscrutable eyes, totally alien, unmistakably intelligent. I didn't know what you would be like, Mr. Durham, whether you would be in sympathy with your employers or not. Now, of course, it is evident that you can't be. Durham said quietly, I've been to a lot of trouble already to put a rope around their necks. I'm ready to go to a lot more. They've used me like... He could not think of the right word. Jub nodded. Contempt is not an easy thing to take, 
I know. Then you will help? In any way I can. I want you to go back with me to the hub, Mr. Durham. Before, I was helpless without proof. Now, as head of a planetary government, I can insist on seeing the ranking ambassador himself, and I can bypass Hawtrey now that I know who he is. I want you to be my witness. Nothing, said Durham, would please me more. Good, said Jubb. Good. Karlovic, it looks as though the end of our long fight may be in sight at last. Take good care of Mr. Durham. He is more precious than gold. Meanwhile, Morrison has made us a problem on transportation. We provided that particular ship for the consul's comfort when there was reason for him to travel in our territory, and we had planned to refit it so that it would accommodate two on the return journey. Now I must ask a ship from our friends on Nantadik, and that may take a little time. So rest well, Mr. Durham. He went out, and Karlovic led Durham back into the hall and from there into a gloomy chamber that had a shiny little kitchen lost in one corner of it. There was a table and chairs. Durham sat down and watched Karlovic busy himself with packages of food. You don't look very happy about all this, he said. I'm not unhappy. I'm worried. About what? Morrison can't do anything now. No. Listen, Mr. Durham. The emperors of Rome only ruled part of one little world. They didn't give it up easily. Morrison won't either. Remember, things are so bad for him now they couldn't possibly get any worse. Only better. Durham looked out the window. It was a double one, with a vacuum between the panes and protective mesh on the outside. The green air pressed thick against it. The sun had wheeled far over, and the shadows of the buildings were long and black. Do you stay here much? he asked. I have lately, said Karlovic. I had to. My life wasn't safe on Nantadik. You've no idea how high their feelings run there, thanks to Morrison. He began to set the table. Durham made no move to help. He was tired. He watched the shadows lengthen and fill the circle of lofty walls with their darkness. Couldn't the government there protect you? Only part of the government wants to. And Morrison is working hard to frighten them with all this propaganda about the bitter star. Propaganda, that's what he said, is it? Absolutely, as far as the Senyans using it is concerned, but the thing itself is real. It's here in the city. I've seen it. Karlovic put heated containers on the table and sat down. He began methodically to eat. It's kind of a weird story. Probably it could only have happened on a world like this with a totally non-human biochemical setup. Senyant science started early and advanced fast, a good deal faster than it did on Nantadik for some reason. They did a lot of experimenting with solar energy and atomics and the forces that lie just on the borderline of life, or maybe intelligence would be a better word. Aren't the two more or less synonymous? 
hunk of platinum sponge or a mess of colloids can be intelligent, but never alive. The star is, the dark birds are. They're not matter. They're merely a nexus of interacting particles, but they live and think. What about the star? The scientists were trying for an energy matrix that would absorb solar power and store it like a battery. Something slipped, and the result was the bitter star. It absorbs solar power, all right, but in the form of heat, and it will take heat from anything. And it doesn't give it up. It merely absorbs more and more until every living thing near it is frozen and there's no more heat to be had. The Senyan scientists didn't know quite what to do with this thing they had created, but they didn't want to destroy it either. It had too many angles they wanted to study. So they made the dark birds on the same pattern, but without the heat hunger and with a readier intelligence, to be a bridge between themselves and the star, to control it. They studied the thing until it proved too dangerous, and then they prisoned it by simply starving it at a temperature of absolute zero. So it has stayed ever since, and the dark birds still guard it in case anything should happen to free it again. They almost seem to love it in some odd, unfleshly way. Durham frowned. Then it could be used against Nantadik. Oh, yes, said Karlovic somberly. In fact, it was once. The stars shone in their sky in midsummer, and the crops blackened, and the rivers froze, and the men died where they stood in the fields. The Senyans won the war. That was a thousand years ago, but the Nantans never quite forgot it. He got up and went morosely to the sink, carrying dishes. I keep telling Jub he ought to get rid of the thing. It's a sore point, but... Somewhere below, there was a very loud noise. The floor rose up and then settled again. Almost at once, the air was full of dust and an alarm bell began a strident ringing. Karlovic's mouth opened and closed twice, as though he was trying to say something. He let the dishes fall, clattering around his feet, and then he ran with all his might out of the room and along the hall. Durham followed him. There was now no sound at all from below. The pumps had stopped. Karlovic found his tongue. Cover your face. Don't breathe. Durham saw a thin, lazy whirl of greenish mist moving into the hall. He pressed his handkerchief over his mouth and nose and made his legs go hard and fast. He was right on top of Karlovic when they stumbled into the airlock. It was still clear. They helped each other into their suits, panting in the stagnant air. Then, through the helmet audio, Durham could hear sounds from outside, muffled shouts and tramplings. Karlovic went back into the consulate where the green mist was already clinging around his knees and looked out a window into the circle. Over his shoulder, Durham could see Senyans milling around, and he thought they were rioters, but Karlovic said, It's all right. They're Jub's guards. They went back to the airlock and from there into the open circle. Senyans escorted them hastily into the adjoining building, and Durham saw that guard posts were being set up. There was a gaping hole in the side of the consulate, and the pavement was shattered, 
There were pieces of machinery and stuff lying around. Durham figured rapidly in his head how much oxygen he had in his suit pack and how long it would take to repair the consulate and get the air conditioning working again and how long it would be before a ship could get here from Nantadik. He looked at Karlovic, whose face was white as chalk inside his helmet. The lifeboat, he said. Karlovic nodded. Some color came back into his face. Yes, the lifeboat. We can live in it until the ship comes. He ran his tongue over his lips as though they were very dry. Didn't I tell you Morrison wouldn't give up easy? Oh, Lord, the lifeboat. He began to jabber urgently at the Senians in their own tongue, and again his expression was agonized. Durham didn't need to be told what he was thinking. If anything happened to that lifeboat, they were two dead men on a world where humans had no biological right to be. They were brought into a room where Jubb was busy with a bank of communicators and a batch of harried aides. The room was enormous, but it did not dwarf the Senians, and the somber colors did not seem depressing in their own light. Jubb said as they came in the door, I've had a heavy guard set on your lifeboat. I don't think anyone can repeat that hit-and-run bombing. He cursed in a remarkably human fashion, naming Morrison and the Senian fools who let themselves be used. You are all right, Karlovic, Mr. Durham. Quite safe. I've ordered a motor convoy. There are signs of unrest all over the city. Apparently word has gone out that you, Durham, are carrying the unification agreement for my signature and that the terms are a complete surrender on our part to human rule. Does it cheer you two to know that the human race is not alone in producing fools and madmen? Once on the spaceport, you will be safe. My naval units will see to that, and my troops are already in the streets. They have orders to look out for you. Go with fortune. They were taken out another way, where three heavy trucks and several smaller vehicles were drawn up. The Senians in them wore a distinctive harness and were armed, and the vehicles all had armor-plated bodies. Durham and Karlovic were lifted into one of the trucks, which was already filled with Senian soldiers. The convoy moved off. Durham braced himself in a corner and looked at Karlovic. Happened fast, didn't it? Awfully fast. Violent things always do. You're not much used to violence, are you? Neither am I. Neither are most people. They get it shoved at them. I don't think we're through with it yet, said Durham. Karlovic said, I told you. For some time there was only the rushing and jolting of the truck, the roar of motors, and a kind of dim, uneasy background of sound as though the whole city stirred and seethed. Durham was frightened. The food he had eaten had turned against him. He was stifling in his own sweat, and he thought of Morrison cruising comfortably somewhere out in space, smoking cigarettes and drinking good whiskey and sending down a message now and then, the way a man pokes with a stick at a brace of beetles, stirring them casually toward death. He ground his jaws together in an agony of hate and fear, and the taste of them was sour in his mouth. Somebody said to them, We're on the spaceport highway now. It won't be long. 
A minute later, somebody shouted and Karlovic caught the Senyan word and echoed it. Barricade! The truck rocked and whirled about, and there were great crashes in the night that had fallen. Durham was thrown to his knees. The truck raced at full speed. There were sounds of fighting that now rose and now grew faint, and the truck lurched and swerved, and then there were more roars and crashes, and it came violently to a halt. The Senyans began firing out of the loopholes in the armored sides. Some of them leaped out of the truck, beckoning Durham and Karlovic to come after them. A large force of rioters was attacking what remained of the convoy, which had been forced back into the city. Four of the Senyan soldiers ran with the two men into a side street, but a small body of rioters caught up with them. The soldiers turned to fight, and Karlovic said in a voice that was now curiously calm, If we're quick enough, they may lose sight of us in the darkness. He turned into an areaway between two buildings, and then into another, and Durham ran beside him through the cold green mist and the dim glow of lamps that glittered on the alien walls. The sound of the fighting died away. They turned more corners, hunting always for the darkest shadows, hoping to meet a patrol. But the streets were deserted, and all the doors barred tight. Finally, Durham stopped. How much oxygen you got left? Karlovic peered at the illuminated indicator on the wrist of his suit. Hour, maybe less. Both men were breathing hard, panting, burning up the precious stuff of life. Durham said, I won't last that long. Listen, Karlovic, where is the bitter star? Karlovic's face was a pale blur inside his helmet. You crazy? You can't. Durham put his two hands on the shoulders of Karlovic's suit and leaned his helmet so close that it clicked on Karlovic's. Maybe I'm crazy. In 30, 40 minutes, I'll be dead. So what will it matter then? Listen, Karlovic, I want to live. He pointed back the way they had come. You think we can walk through that to the spaceport in time? No. We got any place else to go? No. All right, then. Let's give them hell. But they're not our enemies. Jub, my friends. Friend or enemy, they'll clear the way. We might just make it, Karlovic. You said the dark birds control it, and you can talk to them. He shook Karlovic viciously. Where is it? Don't you understand? If we use it, we can hound Morrison out of space. Karlovic turned and began to walk fast, sobbing as he went. The dark birds will never let us. You don't know what you're doing. I know one thing. I'm sick of being pushed, pushed, pushed into corners, into holes, where I can't breathe. I'm going to... He shut his teeth tight together and walked fast beside Karlovic starting at every sound and shadow. By twining alleys and streets where nothing moved for fear of the violence that was abroad that night, Karlovic led Durham to an open space like a park, with vast, locked gates that could keep a senyan out, but not a little agile human who could climb like a monkey with the fear of death upon him. Beyond the gates, 
Great wrinkled lichens as tall as trees grew in orderly rows, and a walk led inward. The lichens bent and rustled in the wind, and Durham's suit was wet with a poisonous dew. The walk ended in a portico, and the portico was part of a building, round and squat as though a portion of its mass was underground. They passed through a narrow door into a place of utter silence, and a dark bird hung there, barring their way. Jub, said Durham. Tell it Jub has sent us. Tell it the bitter star must be freed again to destroy Jub's enemies. Karlovic spoke to the shadow. Others came to join it. There was a flurry of hooting and chittering, and then the one Karlovic had been speaking to disappeared in the uncanny fashion of its kind. The others stayed, a barrier between the two men and a ramp that led steeply down. Karlovic sat down wearily on the chill stone. It isn't any use, he said. I knew it wouldn't be. The dark bird has gone to ask Jub if what we say is true. Durham sat down too. He did not even bother to look at the indicator on his wrist. No use. The end. Finish. He shut his eyes. There was a stir and a hooting in the air. Karlovic gasped. Then he began to shake Durham, laughing like a woman who has heard a risque story. Don't you hear? The bird came back and Jub said, Chubb said Morrison has been preaching the war of the bitter star, so let him have it. He grasped Durham's suit by the shoulders and pulled him to his feet, and they ran with the cloud of shadows down into the dimness below. End of Section 7